Firstly, I would like to express our gratitude to my respected teacher, Qadi Ayyub Ishaq, for blessing us with his presence tonight, alhamdulillah. He is the father of our Imam, Qadi Hudayfa, and uh, alhamdulillah, I've been fortunate enough to be studying with him and teaching with him for the past 30 years, alhamdulillah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept all his uh, contributions to the service of the sciences of the recitation of the Qur'an, insha'Allah. <coughs> Alhamdulillah, in tonight's recitation, we all heard, it started with Surah Tabarakalladhi Biyadihi Al-Mulk, the famous surah, which we would have learned when we were young, and we have been encouraged by Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to learn this particular surah. It's also known as Surah Waqiyah with a, without a ayn. There's one Al-Waqiyah which is in the 27th Jews after Ar-Rahman and this is Surah Al-Waqiyah. Waqiyah means the protector. Another name of the Surah is Al-Munajjiyah, the helper or the one that supports. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam mentions in an authentic hadith that a person who recites this Surah will be secure and protected from the adab of the qabr. In fact, in one hadith, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam states that it is my wish that every Muslim, every believer, secures and memorizes Suratul Mulk. Tabarakalladhi biyadihi al-mulk. And in another hadith, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam states, the hadith is narrated by Sayyidina Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu, that there is a surah in the Quran which comprises of 30 verses and Whoever learns that surah or recites it, on the day of Qiyamah there will be an individual who would have learned it and recited it, who will be saved from the fire of Jahannam. And in fact, Sayyidina Abu Huraira says there will be an individual who would have been in Jahannam and because he knew the surah, Allah will take him out of Jahannam and enter him into Jahannam. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us from Jahannam, but afford us the opportunity to learn the surah so that we can be secure and safe from the fitna of the day of Qiyamah as well as the fitna of the Qabr. Uh, this person who recites the surah is also protected and secure from the fitna of the Qabr. When a person is placed in the grave, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will allow the surah to defend him against the trials of the Qabr, which is a very difficult one. So the opening verses of this particular surah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Tabarak alladhi biyadihi al-mulk. Tabaraka means glorified be that being. Alladhi biyadihi al-mulk. In his control is the kingdom of the heavens and the earth. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who has created al mauta. He has created death, walhayata and life. So normally in our common understanding, death is the opposite of life. The absence of life is death. Whereas in reality, these are two distinct creations of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And death does not necessarily mean the ending of life. The meaning of death and maut in Arabic is the transferring of a person's existence from one realm into another realm. He's merely being transferred in totality. So when a person goes into the next world, which is the barzakh, the first stage of the akhirah, then that is called maut. It doesn't mean he's finished. When a person passes away, then in the Qabr, the bounties and the bliss 
and the virtue of good a'mal which will be enjoyed in the qabr will be experienced by both the body and the soul. And the adab and punishment of the qabr will be experienced by both the body and the soul. Now if the question arises again in somebody's mind that what happens if somebody had to be uh, consumed by some sharks in the ocean or some animals in the Kruger Park or due to some explosion there was nothing left of, of the individual's body. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who has created every part of our existence is in control of every atom of our existence before we were formed and even after we die. In Surah Yasin, there's an ayah which we commonly recite on the last page. وَضَرَبَ لَنَا مَثَلًا وَنَسِيَ خَلْقَهُ One of the mushrikeen whose name was Uqba ibn Abi Mu'ayt, he came to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam with a dry bone. And he said, he crushed the bone in front of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and he said, مَنْ يُحْيِي الْعِظَامَ وَهِيَ رَمِيمُ Who's going to give life to this bone after it has decayed and disintegrated? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this verse gives the reply and he says, قُلْ يُحْيِيهَا الَّذِي أَنْشَأَهَا أَوَّلَ مَرَّةِ If Allah willed, he could have said, قُلْ يُحْيِيهَا اللَّهِ Tell him that Allah will give life to it. That would have also been an answer. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, tell him that the being who created that bone in the first instance is the one who will give it life again. And then the, the ulama elaborate and they explain that the existence of a human being, if we just retrack our uh, points of existence, so before we were human beings in this form, in this dunya, we came from drops of fluid, whether it be from, our, from both our parents, and prior to that, before those fluids which have the, the ingredients to our DNA and whatever is required to form our particular bodies, our parents had blood in their bodies, and that blood Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created from the rizq and the sustenance that he provided for them. So they're eating cereal which has got rice that came from Bangladesh and the wagyu steak comes from Japan and the, the bread comes from somewhere else and the fruit comes from another part of the world. And all those, those small ingredients which were particles to form the blood within the body of the father and the mother contained parts of this individual that eventually was to be born. And if you even take it further, if that rice was growing in a particular rice paddy in some part of the world, the amount of sunshine it required to be able to grow, the amount of water which was required to sustain that particular crop. There was a particle of that individual who had to come in the future, lurking somewhere in all those creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah brought them all together in the form of the fluid within our parents. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave a beautiful form to this, this ingredients that came together. Now when a person dies and his body is placed in one grave, even if it disintegrates, or is in a few sharks, or is in a few lions, what makes it difficult for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to be in control of the atoms of his body when Allah brought it into existence in the first place from millions and millions of particles in the, in the, in the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Allah says, So when a person is in the grave, then the, the body... And in other words, the particles which, const which are the ingredients for the existence of the body, even if they happen to disintegrate apparently, they also experience the bounties of the, the person who is rewarded in the qabr 
and if there is adab, the adab, even if we don't see it with our eye. So a person says, whether it be uh, the body of, of the Pharaoh that seems to be uh, preserved, but we can't see any adab. Your seeing it does not necessarily mean there is nothing happening. Like you're seeing a sleeping person, he is having a nightmare, but you don't notice anything externally on his, on his body. So the soul, the ruh, and the body of a human being, they're intertwined. They're very strongly linked. And in this dunya, they do everything together. So the body is like the vehicle which carries the, the ruh. It's like two people. One, is, one is, is blind, but he's physically able. And the other one, his vision is not impaired. He can see very well, but he's crippled. So the blind one who is physically able carries the, the crippled one, and they go to some place, and the one who can see, he says, okay, turn right, turn left, okay, they, they, and they steal something together. When they get caught, the one who is blind can't say that I didn't see what was happening. And the one who is crippled can't say I didn't walk there. Both of them are complicit in the, in the crime. Similarly, in the things of this dunya, when a person does some form of obedience, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala rewards the ruh and the body enjoys that as well. If a person does any type of disobedience, then the difficulty is felt, is felt by the ruh and the body. And just... I mean, easy example for us to understand. And I'll try to be very selective with the choice of words that I use, just in case there's uh, children. So if, if, if an adult has a nocturnal emission, which requires a fard ghusl in the morning, so he dreamt that he was here and there, and he had some entertainment, he was enjoying himself, but his body was stationary and motionless. And so his ruh was enjoying whatever had happened, which resulted in the ghusl becoming obligatory. But who makes the ghusl, the ruh or the body? The body has to make the ghusl. Although the ruh was enjoying the... But they are so strongly intertwined and linked that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has kept the end result of the actions based on both of them. Both of them will enjoy it. Although outwardly it will be difficult for us to comprehend. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has therefore given us the surah as a ni'mah as a protection for the fitna in the qabr, for the fitna on the day of qiyamah, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the understanding and the ability to learn the surah, insha'Allah, learn its meaning. There are very beautiful lessons therein and important points of reflection. In the next surah, in Surah Al-Qalam, and I will conclude, insha'Allah, shortly, uh, is a verse where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes the character of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, saying, وَإِنَّكَ لَعَلَى خُلُقٍ عَظِيمٍ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, you are on the greatest of character. O Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. This was in reference to uh, verbal abuses hurled at Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam by Walid bin Mughira, one of the leaders of the Quraysh. So he said that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is majnoon. And this is one of the lessons we need to learn also, respected brothers, that when people hurl um, insults towards Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, yes, it hurts us, and we need to defend Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. But many times those, those insults are an excuse to allow Muslims to misbehave so that they can point fingers and say, look, look how, they, how they're behaving. We told you that they are hooligans, look at them. So yeah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala shows us in this surah that a person verbally abuses, abuses Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and he says that he's majnoon, na'udhu billah, he's insane. And he's a, he's a soothsayer and, and he, he labels Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam with various uh, labels. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, don't bother about him. Your, your character and akhlaq is of the, of the highest uh, caliber. And then thereafter, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us of 
Walid bin Mughira himself, what type of person he is, that the person who is slandering you and casting these, these nasty uh, insults towards you, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, وَلَا تُطِعْ كُلَّ حَلَّافٍ مَّهِينٍ Don't worry about this person who is, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enumerates his weaknesses and his sins, which will be recited in the Qur'an till the day of Qiyamah. Which means anybody who shows disrespect to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Yes, we will defend Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in the limits of sharia, but the rest will leave to Allah. Allah will take care of him. Allah says, وَلَا تُطِعْ كُلَّ حَلَّافٍ مَّهِينٍ Halaf means that person who unnecessarily just takes an oath. If he needs to say a simple sentence, he won't say it without taking a qasam. So we need to make sure that we don't do the same thing also. Just say, wallah and qasam for everything that we... So this is the quality of Walid bin Mughira. وَلَا تُطِعْ كُلَّ حَلَّافٍ مَّهِينٍ The word mahin means he is despicable and lowly. Allah is using that word for him in the Qur'an. هَمَّازٍ مَّشَّائِمْ بِنَمِيمٍ He is a person who, who finds faults with everybody. Any person he looks at, he'll find a fault. Any person he talks to, he'll find a fault. So when these qualities of the kuffar are mentioned in the Qur'an, it is a point of reflection for us to ensure that we don't have these qualities. Because a sign of deviation is finding fault with everybody. Argumentation. Interacting with people and running them down. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa said, Argumentation and fighting with people. So Walid bin Mughira, Hammazin, he's constantly poking and finding fault. No, this one is not right. If a person is walking, he's not walking right. There's nothing that can please him. Masha'im bin Amim. And he is a habitual perpetrator of carrying tales. So there's nothing good about his speech, there's nothing good about his intellect. The only thing he does is bad. Masha'im bin Amim. Then Allah says, Whatever good there is happening around him, he'll stop it. Allah says, Mu'tadin. And he always exaggerates and exceeds the limits of normality. Athim, he's a great sinner. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, And after all that, he is an illegitimate child also. Maybe people didn't know. Allah exposed that the fact that he doesn't know who his real father is. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala defended Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in this way. So Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam's character has been praised by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with the word azim. Azim means something which is noble, it has, it's magnificent. And the Sahaba radiallahu anhum, Ummul Mu'mineen Sayyidah Aisha radiallahu anha said, Kana khuluquhu al-Qur'an. The akhlaq of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is actually a physical manifestation of the verses of the Qur'an which describe nobility and goodness. Because there's many verses in the Qur'an. So all those verses in the Qur'an which advocate and advise goodness and abstaining from bad, all those were practically in the life of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. His softness was such, the Sahaba Sayyidina Anas radiallahu anhu said that Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was so easy and approachable that if he was walking in the street and a small girl would take him by his hand and say, Oh, Nabi of Allah, I got some work with you. I need to talk to you. He would allow her to take him one side and talk to her and hear what she has to say. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The Sahaba radiallahu anhum said that Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, whenever somebody asked him something, he never said no. In fact, they say, If it wasn't for Ashhadu Allah ilaha illallah, the Shahada, we say, La, no, there's none worthy of worship besides Allah. Then generally Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam never used the word no for anyone. Anybody needed anything, he would do his best to assist. And if he didn't have anything, he would borrow from someone to ensure that he tries to assist. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala instill within our hearts the love for Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and his beautiful uh, akhlaq and characteristics. 
May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make it a means of our najat and success in the akhirah insha'Allah. We've got very few days left of the month of Ramadan. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the tawfiq to spend it wisely. And may Allah make us amongst those who are the utaqa shahr Ramadan. Those who have been emancipated and freed from any type of difficulty and adab by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we once again remind the brothers to constantly in these few days recite what Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam encouraged us to recite. Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah. Astaghfirullah, Allahumma inni as'aluka al-jannah wa a'udhu bika min al-nar Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah, astaghfirullah, Allahumma inni as'aluka al-jannah wa a'udhu bika min al-nar Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah, astaghfirullah, Allahumma inni as'aluka al-jannah wa a'udhu bika min al-nar Wa akhiru da'wana, alhamdulillahi rabbil alamin